Please remain standing for the honoring of the reading of God's word today. Today's sermon is entitled, Do Not Cast Your Pearls to Pigs. Text is simply Matthew 7, 6. Do not give dogs what is holy. And do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. You may be seated. Today's verse is one of the most underapplied verses, I believe, in all of Scripture. Many of you know of this verse. You've read it many times. But notice what I just said. I did not say misunderstood. I said underapplied. I believe that this text is one of the most underapplied verses in all of Scripture. The, the vast majority of Christians know what today's verse means. I think you do as well. Although by the end of today's sermon, I will ensure that you do. But I think you already know what this verse means. I think the vast majority of Christians, their problem is they just don't know how and when to apply the verse. It is therefore my aim today to help you not only to figure out what Jesus meant in today's text, but that also you apply the text appropriately. It is a harsh sounding text, but we must apply it rightly. For as we all know, much Bible reading without application leads to destruction. Take a look at Matthew 7.20. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And as we said in our responsive reading a few moments earlier, if we want God to deal with us according to our righteousness... We should not be surprised if He deals with us according to our disobedience. The link between hearing and doing, do you know what that is? What is the link between hearing God's Word and actually doing God's Word? The link is faith. Many people hear the Gospel but will do nothing about it. It's interesting, in John 3.36, the text says, Obey the Gospel. Whoever does not obey the gospel, the wrath of God abides upon him. God commands all people not just to believe in the gospel, but to obey the gospel. So often the two are interchangeable. Many will hear the commands of Christ, but will not seek to obey Him. If we are saved by faith in the gospel, and if faith is the missing link between hearing the word of God and obeying the word of God, then it makes sense for the Apostle James, for example, to identify disobedient yet self-professing Christians as self-deceived. In other words, people who go around calling themselves Christians but continue to live disobedient lives, James says... This this deluded people. James one twenty two, Be doers of the word and not hearers only. Otherwise you are deceiving or deluding yourselves. In other words, if you are consistently disobedient to the word of God, you may be deceiving yourself into thinking that you are a child of God. I cannot reiterate enough how important your obedience is to your assurance of salvation. The church that you attend and the sermon you hear on Sunday morning are two of the most important activities 
of your week. To listen to today's message, but to not put it into practice, leads to destructive life choices and to ultimate condemnation. Conversely, by practicing what you are about to hear today, you are preparing to withstand not only the harshest storms of life, but to steward your time well. You will see that today. None of you, I believe, want to waste your time and your gifts and your talents. You are building a solid foundation for life. You are strengthening your assurance of salvation. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but lose his soul? What does it profit a remarried man to simply acknowledge that a remarriage is adultery unless he comes out of remarriage? What does it profit a thief to acknowledge that it is wrong to steal unless he stops stealing? What does it profit a student to acknowledge that cheating is wrong unless he stops cheating? And what does it profit a man to acknowledge the wisdom of Jesus as a good teacher unless he also bows before Him as Lord and Master? Each Sunday we leave church with a commitment not merely to listen to the Word of God, but to also obey the Word of God. You know, every Thursday night we head out into the streets of New York to give out tracts, which are essentially gospel leaflets. Those who believe what they've read will be saved. Those who reject will soon face uh, suffering eternally worse than the suffering experienced by those who lived in the cities where the two atomic bombs were dropped. One week ago, while I was evangelizing, I met a 20-year-old man who was about to go into the U.S. Marine Corps in March. He's about to go into basic training. We got into a spiritual conversation, and when I warned him about the reality of hell that's coming, he responded by saying, whoa, stop right there. I don't believe in hell, so that doesn't apply to me. And I told him that hell is an objective reality which exists irrespective of whether or not he believes in its existence. Hell doesn't care whether or not you believe in its existence. It's real. Now, seeing that the young man was about to become a serviceman, I used an illustration from our military history. Shortly prior to the U.S. dropping the two atomic bombs on Japan, the United States, a Christian civilization, who sought to fight war, war is never pretty, but they try to fight it in a uh, just and almost, if you would call it, a humanitarian way. The United States warned the people of Japan, which, by the way, the Japanese did not do for the U.S. in their attack of Pearl Harbor. There was no warning there. In fact, they used that element of surprise to their dastardly advantage. But the U.S. warned the people of Japan by showering the Japanese cities of Nagasaki and Hiroshima and 33 other potential target sites with over 5 million leaflets warning civilians of the coming attacks. I'll show you a picture if we have it on the screen. That uh, The picture you're about to see is a, is a sample of the actual leaflet that was uh, thrown on the cities of Japan. And after the nuclear bombing of Hiroshima, there you go, that's, 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 that's the leaflet. 
Five million leaflets warning civilians of coming attacks. After the nuclear bombing of Hiroshima, many in Japan still did not believe that the U.S. had yet another atomic bomb. The United States therefore showered Nagasaki with the following words to the Japanese. To the Japanese people, and I got this directly from the President Harry Truman's Memorial Museum. To the Japanese people, America asks that you take immediate heed of what we say on this leaflet. We are in possession of the most destructive explosive ever devised by man. A single one of our newly developed atomic bombs is actually the equivalent in explosive power to what 2,000 of our giant B-29s can carry on a single mission. This awful fact is one for you to ponder, and we solemnly assure you it is grimly accurate. We have just begun to use this weapon against your homeland. If you still have any doubt, make inquiry as to what happened to Hiroshima when just one atomic bomb fell on that city. Before using this bomb to destroy every resource of the military by which they are prolonging this useless war, we ask that you now petition petition the emperor to end the war. Our president has outlined for you the 13 consequences of an honorable surrender. We urge that you accept these consequences and begin the work of building a new, better, peace-loving Japan. You should take steps now to cease military resistance. Otherwise, we shall resolutely employ this bomb and all our superior weapons to promptly and forcefully end the war. Evacuate your cities. Attention, Japanese people. Evacuate your cities. Now, those who read and believed took action by leaving Japan's cities. Within days, the second atomic bomb was dropped, and Nagasaki was destroyed. Now, every week, I go out to share the gospel. I, our gospel track is not too much bigger than, than what you saw was uh, that leaflet that you saw the U.S. drop over Japan. Every week I go out to share the gospel. Those who read the track and believe will take action to be saved. Within years, heaven and hell will be eternal and it will be the permanent residence for every human being on this planet. The question is, where are you going? And it doesn't matter if you don't believe that hell is real, just as some Japanese did not believe that the U.S. held such a powerful weapon. It didn't matter. Because one day when that plane flew overhead and that bomb dropped, it became a reality. One day the end will come for you. I am here to call you to action. Take action. Attention. Citizens, repent and believe in Jesus. There is a holocaust coming far worse than anything you've ever seen. How can you be saved from the wrath of God? Well, there's only one way. I want you to listen carefully. This is a very important message. Take heed. I am an ambassador of King Jesus and I'm giving you a message. Take heed and listen. There is a holy righteous God who loves you, but He must because He is just, 
send all sinners to an eternal torment in hell. This hell is far worse than any atomic bomb you can imagine. We are all sinners in need of a Savior. We deserve hell from God. We deserve punishment in hell for our sins from God. But listen, the good news is God is merciful. He has sent His only Son Jesus, who was fully God and fully man, to die on the cross for your sins, and three days later, He historically resurrected from the grave. There is more evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ than there is for the age of Alexander the Great's death. Or a lot of other things from ancient history. And here's the good news. If you repent of your sins and believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord, God, and Savior, you will be spared the wrath of God and have eternal life. It's a message we send all over New York City every week. But very few listen. Very few listen. My hope is that one day I will see you in eternity because you believe. Well, today, the central biblical principle is always preach the gospel, but refrain from continual ministry to dogs and pigs. In today's text, pearls, dogs, and pigs are all representative of spiritual realities. We are not to take this passage literally because Jesus did not mean it literally. He's teaching us something here. And and after instructing us not to judge last week, Jesus this week instructs us to carefully avoid ministering to people whom we judge to be dogs and pigs. Because pearls, dogs, and pigs are all symbolic, our job this morning is to figure out what the symbolism represents and how to apply the lesson behind Jesus' teaching. Let's start with pearls. Pearls were in those days, as they are today, among the costliest of all jewels. Several times in the New Testament, the value of pearls um, are unequivocally displayed for us. Listen to these verses, Matthew 13, 45-46. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls when... He found one very precious pearl. He went away and sold all he had and bought it. According to this particular text in Matthew, apparently certain pearls were so valuable that they were worth an entire lifetime of savings. And Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven is like such a pearl. Whatever you're doing in life right now, the minute you moment the, the moment God opens your eyes to see the eternal value of Jesus, you will be willing to do a 180, drop everything that you have, sell everything that you have, and go after Jesus, the pearl of great value. Of course, in this story, many people just walk by this precious pearl. Why? Because they don't see the value. The same way many people walk by Jesus today and they throw tracks on the floor because they don't see the value. Oh, if only they saw the value of this pearl. Worth an entire life savings. That's how valuable this is. 
And you know what? You're still getting the better end of the deal. You're still getting the better end of the deal after purchasing that pearl. Notice in this uh, metaphor that the kingdom of heaven is what is being compared to that precious pearl. And this will be vital for our discussion later, by the way. This is not the first time Jesus will connect a pearl to the kingdom of heaven. It won't be the last. The merchants of earth, here is another text in Revelation. The merchants of earth weep and mourn for her since no one buys her cargo anymore. Now listen to this list of cargo material. Uh, Gold, silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple cloth, cloth only worn by majesty, silk, scarlet cloth, all kinds of scented wood, all kinds of articles of ivory, all kinds of articles of costly wood, bronze, iron, marble. So there you see pearls in that list of very expensive materials. The city of Babylon in that text is judged by God and no one is left to buy any of her costly goods. Extravagant goods, which includes pearls. 1 Timothy 2.9 is an interesting text. Likewise also that women would adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair, gold or pearls or costly attire. I'm not going into a discussion right now about whether or not women could wear pearls or braid their hair. That's for a second, a second, another sermon, if anything. But what I want to show with this text is that pearls were of status. A Christian woman, they, in the text, the Apostle Paul prohibits Christian women from walking around in expensive clothes, gold and pearls. The notion here is that Christian women should not go around in ostentatious and pricey outward displays, but rather they should be marked by modesty and inner spiritual richness. Pearls and gold jewelry were outward signs of elevated social status. And Christians should not be consumed with that. Today, obviously, it doesn't only have to be pearls. It could be Louis Vuitton bags or uh, whatever other uh, material denotes status. We are not to be consumed with that as Christians. Hence, pearls certainly represented items of value, both in Jesus' day and in ours. But in today's context... Pearls represent something more than just a tangible, valuable item. Because the parallel clause in verse 6 states, Do not give dogs what is holy. See the word holy. Therefore we know that in this particular context, Jesus is referring to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And all the doctrines that are in accordance with, to the luminous gospel. Now some scholars here believe that the image is connected to Leviticus 22.6 where only the priests are allowed to eat of holy offerings. Let's take a moment of uh, a moment to look at that text. Here's what it says. A lay person shall not eat of a holy thing. No foreign guest of the priest or hired worker shall eat of a holy thing. There we see God prohibiting Gentiles from eating anything belonging to the priest. 
Now, based on that verse, some scholars believe that the image that Jesus wanted to convey was one of a priest taking flesh off the altar of burnt offering and throwing it to the many scavenger dogs that infested eastern cities. Yet, personally, I believe that there is no apparent reason to go with that assumption because Jesus simply says, Holy. And he does not say, Holy meat. Furthermore, his audience were not priests. Uh, They were common people who had no access to holy meat in the first place. And I believe in today's text, Jesus makes a general statement regarding all things holy. Most importantly, the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is our greatest, most holiest pearl. Jesus taught that himself. He said it was the most precious pearl. It is through this pearl we enter the kingdom of heaven. You miss this pearl, you will not enter heaven. The gospel is holy because it is from God and it is supremely valuable because it is the only road which brings us to God. Woe to us if we gain the whole world full of riches, but we lose the precious pearl that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? How valuable is the gospel over earthly riches like gold and pearls? Well, listen to the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter 1.18-19. Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things as silver or gold, but with the precious, and you could add pearls there easily, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. So here Peter juxtaposes the pearl against earthly riches, and he says, how much more valuable is this gospel that we hold? The blood of Christ. Our greatest pearl is the holy gospel of Jesus Christ. It is far more precious than any on earth. Now having established this, we now turn our attention to dogs and pigs. Who exactly are the dogs and the pigs? Well, it is well known that in first century Israel, Jews considered both dogs and pigs as unclean beasts. Jews to this day, especially the Orthodox Jews, uh, are repulsed by the American notion of, of keeping dogs as pets in the home. Uh, that was unheard of for, for Jews. Uh, The Jews considered both dogs and pigs utterly unclean animals. Dogs wallowed in their own filth, and to this day you see that. They smell each other's rear ends. Dogs wallow in their own filth, and um, pigs wallow in the filth of others. Now the Jews would often refer to Gentiles, non-Jews, as dogs. Now contrary to what some scholars try to say, this was never a compliment. And they will try to make a distinction between, well, when, when a Gentile says uh, dog, uh, uh, when a Jew calls a Gentile dog, sometimes he's referring in a loving way to a household dog. There's no need to go there. The text doesn't allow for it. Not really. Although there are some minor differences in terms of the word dog. But it doesn't really call for it. And the Jews never really kept household dogs as pets that they endeared themselves to. The Jews would often refer to Gentiles, non-Jews, as dogs. Jesus himself does this in Matthew 15, 26. 
could read that text later yourself. However, with the advent of the New Testament age, the term is no longer used for ethnic Gentiles, but for spiritual Gentiles. In other words, the term dog is now used for generally, the big umbrella, unbelievers. Then it's also used for heretics. Then the New Testament also uses it for sexually immoral people who are shut out of heaven. I want Don't take my word for it. Let's take a look at some examples from the Bible. <coughs> Revelations 22. Sorry, Revelation 22. Uh, look, starting with verse 14. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to this tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs. Those who practice magic arts. Parents, don't let your kids go into magic. The sexually immoral. The murderers. The idolaters. And everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Let's look at Philippians 3.2. Paul utilizes the term. He says, watch out for those dogs. Who is he referring to? Those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. So he's using it to identify heretics. He's calling the heretics dogs. Uh, let's look at Matthew eighteen seventeen. Jesus, Jesus says uh, at the end of church discipline, if the person continues to be unrepentant, excommunicate the person. Listen to what Jesus says. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. And Jesus Jesus would have, could have, and he had in the past, easily put in, let him be to you a dog. Because the two terms were nearly synonymous. For Jews, even for Christ. Gentile. But here we see, let him be to you a Gentile, not ethnic, but spiritual. In other words, the person kicked out of the church, let him be to you a Gentile. The unbeliever is identified by Christ as a Gentile. Now, I don't really think it's necessary, at least in this passage, to make a super fine distinction between dogs and pigs. And as I was preparing this sermon, I know some scholars do. But I'm not convinced there, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time trying to do that. Because essentially for me, I think what Jesus was saying, I think Jesus is simply using both animals to refer to the same group of people. You know what I'm trying to say? You know, there are a group of people nowadays who try to make a super fine distinction between happiness and joy. Uh, happiness is fleeting. Joy is lasting. When I don't think there's a need for that. Same thing in this passage. I don't think there's a need to make a distinction between dogs and pigs. I know there's a difference between a dog and a pig. I don't believe it's necessary spiritually to make a distinction for this text because Jesus, I believe, is referring to the same people by using both terms. I think the term dogs and pigs 
both refer to hardened unbelievers. Now take note here. Refer to hardened unbelievers who after hearing the gospel will reject it, mock it, slander it, and perhaps even turn to persecute you for it. I'm going to say that one more time. It's a major point for this morning's message. What are dogs and pigs? Dogs and pigs, I believe, refer to hardened unbelievers who after hearing the gospel will reject it, mock it, slander it, and perhaps even turn to persecute you for it. Let me just explain a couple of things here. Pearls to a pig are of no value. That sounds obvious for all of us, but, but it's worth reiterating. Humans value pearls, don't we? Pigs do not value pearls. Look at Proverbs 11.22. Like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman who shows no discretion. Uh, good advice for you single men looking for a woman to marry. If you settle merely for beauty, but the woman lacks wisdom, you're in for a mess. Golden pigs, uh, I'm sorry, golden pearls are of no use to pigs. In fact, if you throw pearls to a pig, he will run to them thinking that they're corn, nuts, or some form of food. Sure enough, if you look at a pearl, at least in terms of shape, it initially from a distance looks like a small nut. So a pig will run to you thinking that you're throwing out food. Untamed pigs, upon realizing that the pearls are inedible, will then turn to angrily attack the sower for the supposed deception. That's what verse 6 says. The term used in the Greek there for attack in verse 6 is literally the word break. This is not therefore a small cut, but rather it is a long tear caused by the tusk of a boar. In other words, if you keep giving that which is holy to base people, they will not only trample your gospel message, but they will then turn to destroy and persecute you as well. I've seen that happen from my own experience. There's a minute, there's a moment you just got to stop reaching out to them. In fact, some of them come to you thinking that they're going to experience food or some sort of earthly tangible benefit. And when they don't get that, oh, I'm only getting the gospel? They turn to you enraged. Have you ever met people like that? I've met people like that. Sometimes homeless people, you share the gospel with them. No, no, no. I'll, give me money. Give me money. I'm telling you something far more valuable than money. And in my mind, I'm thinking, I'm going to give you money sure enough. Just wait. But they just want the money. That's what pigs do, right? They come to you thinking it's food, 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 food. Huh? No? What is this? Nonsense. And they turn to rend you. It is not wise for the Christian to 
continue giving pearls to pigs. You're setting yourself up for destruction. Commentator Meyer in his New Testament commentary put it this way. I like this. Dogs and swine, these impure and thoroughly despised animals, represent those men who are hardened and altogether incapable of receiving evangelic truth and to whom the holy is utterly foreign and distasteful. Benson in his commentary wisely says, that is, not talk, talk not of the deep things of God to those whom you know to be wallowing in sin, neither declare the great things God has done for your soul to the profane, furious, persecuting wretches, Talk not of high degrees of holiness, for instance, to the former, nor of your own experience to the latter. But our Lord does in no wise forbid us to reprove, as occasion is, both the one and the other. In other words, reprove sinners, but move on if they continually resist you. That's what Benson is saying, in a nutshell. Now, as I close today, I I wish to make one final point. Use wisdom with today's teaching. Wisdom is required, first of all, to figure out which people are pigs. Don't wrongly identify a person as a pig, when indeed he may not be. Okay? Use wisdom. Wisdom is required to know when to speak. I want to move on from a city. You might think, i got to go, and God might be saying, I want you to stay. You need wisdom. The Apostle Paul keenly knew when to move on. Let's take a look at a few New Testament passages here. Acts 18, 5-6. through 6. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent from now on. I will go to the Gentiles. Where did Paul learn to dust off his shoes and garments? He learned it from Jesus. Matthew 10.14 And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Notice there, there is an entire town that is passed over for their collective overall rejection of the gospel. This probably does not mean that everyone in that town did not believe. But what this is referring to is a general disposition. Sort of like... When we say the Jews today are not saved, it doesn't mean every single Jew is not saved. We know some good Jews who are saved. But what we're saying is that, generally speaking, as a group, they are antagonistic towards the gospel. Most of them are not saved. You see a lot of parallels with this. Uh, Paul, when he spoke at the Oropagus, left that place. Why? Not because there were no converts. At the end of the text, there, there were a few. I remember Demetrius being one. There were, there, were, there were a few. But generally, they laughed him out of town. So he moved on. 
Matthew 10, 14, there is an entire town that is passed over for their collective overall rejection of the gospel. Not just a house. I need to look at another text. Acts 13. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. Another text, Acts 19. And he entered the synagogue for three months, spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. Nothing wrong with using reason and persuasion in your teaching and evangelistic opportunities, okay? But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus, This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. So in Ephesus, Paul ministered the word of God for three months in a synagogue. But when they became stubborn and continued in unbelief, Paul recognized that he was dealing with pigs and dogs. So what did Paul do? Did he continue sowing his pearls? No. He decided to withdraw to a new locale. He even took his disciples with him. Do you see that? Notice that Paul did not waste his time, his precious time, or his talents. Bright man. By stubbornly continuing to battle a resistant people. Instead, by moving locales, he was able to experience a longer, more widespread, and more fruitful ministry, which saw all the residents of Asia hearing the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. All. Again, the word all there, I don't think refers to every single resident, but a general sense. That the Word of God really got out there. So I don't know, t- today, I, I, I don't know where God is working or calling in your life. I don't know where God is calling you to live and, uh, and die doing His work. Sometimes fruit takes a while to develop. Paul took three months in Ephesus before he moved on. It says three months, Right? So if you're going to sit there and ask me, well, how long should I stay? I don't know. That's between you and the Lord. Your three months, I'm sorry, Paul's three months might be three years for you. Wisdom is required to determine when to stay and when to leave. Wherever you go, therefore, simply make sure you're being faithful to God. Yet with so much talk about missionaries dying in fruitful, fruitless mission fields after years of service. You hear about that, right? 
I got into a debate with a professor about this, and he actually unfriended me on Facebook as a result of this, only to friend me later after I told him that that was very unchristlike. So we're we're friend. We became friends again on Facebook. So petty. He's supposed to be a professor. But but my point is this, yet with so much talk about missionaries dying in fruitless mission fields after years of service, I want you to know, however, that sometimes God calls us out through the resistance of hearts. He wants you to be fruitful in order to gain fruit, and the Lord might pull you out of your current setting. Although every analogy eventually breaks down, Let me say this, there is no question that a farmer would not continue to waste precious seed on unproductive soil. I think we could say amen to that. Bear in mind that the Lord expects fruit. John 15.8 By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. There's an adjective there. Much. Not little. That's what I'm aiming for. And my father is glorified by that. There's no intrinsic value in little. And sometimes as Christians, we, we, we over, hyper-spiritualize things. Oh, little is humble. I love this little evangelistic outing or this little church or this little Bible study. I mean, if that's what God gives you, praise God for that. But there's nothing intrinsic, intrinsically praiseworthy about little. What God wants is much fruit. He wants you to preach the gospel and 3,000 come to Christ in one day. That's what He wants. Don't you think that the Lord of this earth wants men to be saved? He wants a great harvest. Stubbornly staying at a certain locale is not always faithfulness to the Lord. And in today's text, we are commanded by God not to continue throwing pearls to pigs. Shaking off our dust and not spending our entire precious lives with dogs and pigs ensures the realization of the maximization of God's kingdom potential. It keeps the gospel from being trampled underfoot. It holds us accountable for our gifts, talents, and time and prevents us from sowing all our precious seed on hard concrete and moves us on to soft, fertile, productive soil. But how do we know when to go and when to stay? Pray and seek God, my friends. I'm sorry. That's where I, as the messenger, have to leave you. You need to ask God. God will most certainly guide you one way or another. In Acts 8, God used the stoning of Stephen to scatter his church. One way or another, God will guide you. If you're a believer, your life is far too precious in his sight, and he won't waste your life. And if you seek him first, he will not allow you to waste your life. That is a promise from God. 
So our job is to pray. You might spend a good amount of your time, like John Bunyan in a prison, writing Pilgrim's Progress. And that might be your calling. But like Paul, perhaps he might, after three months, the Lord might say, Look, I gave you common sense for a reason. These people are resistant. You're getting no fruit. Get on. Move on. I'll give you a ministry you could spend two years in with your disciples, and it will lead to all of Asia hearing this gospel. Don't be so myopic. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you, God, for your holy word today. And so, it's so strange how, especially as of late, I'm just preaching expository messages through the book of Matthew, yet every message seems to be so timely for me and for our church. Now, what you want us to do with it as a body or what you want us to do with it as individuals requires great care and wisdom, gentleness, prostration before God and seeking God's face. There are no easy answers to this. We do know, however, uh, it is not only through prayer or through your word that you direct. As we see in the 8th chapter of the book of Acts, with the stoning of Stephen, it is through circumstances, stoning, persecution, resistance, uh, departure, finances, by which you speak to us and you, for the lack of a better term, you make us leave. But thank God for that. Thank God because, as Paul says, in every which way, the gospel is being proclaimed to the ends of the earth. Praise God that He uses evil for good. Praise God that He uses destructive purposes for gospel propagation to the ends of the earth. Father, I just ask that, Lord, you would give us wisdom. Show us where to go. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to ask you now to spend a few minutes in prayer.